today's episode, we are taking an in-depth look at oral health with a subject matter expert, Dr. Diane Ede Nichols. Diane Ede Nichols, DMD, MHL, MPH, received a dental degree from Fairleigh Dickinson University College of Dental Medicine. She completed a general practice residency program at New York Presbyterian Columbia University, Irving Medical Center, and a fellowship in oral and maxillofacial surgery at the Bronx Veterans Affairs Medical Center in New York. She earned a master's in health law and a master's of public health at Nova Southeastern University's Shepherd Broad College of Law and College of Osteopathic Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Diane D. Nichols. So, to start with, can you just tell us why is this topic important for you? Good morning, and thank you for having me on today's program. I've been privileged to work with so many of the prior speakers, and I'm honored to be considered among them, and I applaud your efforts and work to educate the geriatric workforce. So in terms of why is this topic of importance to me, I would say for multiple reasons. My first exposure to geriatric education was when during my tenure at Columbia University. Dean Alan Formicola, who was the dean at that time, started one of the first pre-doctoral geriatric education programs specifically designed for dental students. When I came to South Florida, Dean Robert Uchin, who was a longest standing dean at Nova Southeastern College of Dental Medicine, also was concerned about promoting the health of not only geriatric and senior patients, but also special care patients. And so through his incentive and guidance, we developed programs to educate pre-doctoral and postgraduate students in geriatric education, as well as provide them with a clinical experience. On a personal note, I grew up in a multi-generational family. I had the privilege of growing up with grandmother, great-grandmother, great-aunt, and the benefits of growing up in that environment are incredible. Not only do they nurture you and, and teach you, but they're a wonderful look into the past. They're historians, each and every one of them. So both of those have contributed to my interest. And through the program at NSU, I was able to see the effects of good oral health on good systemic health, and conversely, what happens when someone doesn't have good oral health and how it can affect their overall well-being. Thank you so much. It looks like you have done a lot of work in terms of promoting the educational component of oral health. What do you think the future is going to look like for health professionals in this area? I think that we have some exciting new things coming across the profession. These are things that have been being developed over the last 20, 25 years. But what we're seeing is sort of a shift, and I believe it's a shift across all healthcare. So we're looking now more at outcome assessment in terms of well-being, looking at the patient holistically, looking at them as a whole. And what we're seeing is all clinicians and healthcare practitioners taking into consideration every aspect of the senior patient, of, of all their patients, really. Mm -hmm. it, I'm not sure what's driving it. I'm hoping it's the decades of education and effort that people such as yourself and, as we mentioned, Dr. Rakusik and uh, Dr. Pandia, helping young students to understand the importance of this generation. We all saw the statistics. The baby boomers were mm -hmm. aging and we had more and more of them. Uh, and that the term graying of America comes to my mind. In geriatric education, that was a common right. discussion point. Right. Right. But I think 
with the advent of a more holistic approach, I think some of the things that have contributed to that, one is in the past, some of the barriers to having sort of a unified health professions approach towards patients, we had separate health records. Mm -hmm. We had separate payer systems. We had sort of silos between all of the health professions. We're moving away from that. I'm not sure if it's Medicare and Medicaid's emphasis on moving away from transaction-based payment to more outcome-based payment. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure whether that's having an influence. It may. We're moving from a dentistry as being a surgical approach to including more of a medical approach. And, mm -hmm. and I can go into that a little further if you like what I mean by that. But over the last 20, 25 years, we've seen immense changes in technology and what we can do and to make procedures quicker, easier, more tolerable for the dental patient. We haven't quite gotten to the point where we've made it financially easy for them. Mm -hmm. And that is continues to be one of the issues that I think seniors will have with regard to their dental health. No, I completely hear you. And we are going to talk about some of the financial implications. Um, in the next few minutes. Uh, I, I do understand that for the healthcare professionals, as you mentioned, it has become really exciting. There's a lot of technology happening and, you know, as I said, EHR changes and some and new innovations happening. So it is very exciting uh, from that end. From a patient's perspective, like, you know, if you're an older adult, 65 and above, uh, we all know one in every three patients have some or the other kind of chronic disease. Uh, they suffer from autoimmune diseases and oral health and some of these diseases, they go hand in hand. To that effect, many of them are not educated about what these oral health issues are and probably it's ignored, which can probably, you know, lead to one complication after the other. In, in your opinion, what should be some of the warning signs that a geriatric patient should be looking for? to go for a screening or to go for preventative care or to go for some diagnostic treatment? What are some, some of those warning signs? So I'm going to take a little step back and mm -hmm. say that I think that what I would like to see as a result of, of now being able to communicate more through health, health records, through shared health records and shared information is first step is individuals who are going to their primary care physicians or their internists, I would love to see those clinicians include a little bit of questioning about oral health, a simple question as such as, when was the last time you saw your dentist? Mm -hmm. And they could also provide information about warning signs, which I think is what you're really asking me. So what are those warning signs? Well, certainly, you know, Pain is probably the more common things, and yet we know that in the case of oral pharyngeal cancers, pain is an end symptom. Once the individual feels pain, the disease has progressed to the point where it's harder to treat by magnitudes, and the outcomes really decrease rapidly once there's pain. Other things are, and we know with the medications that patients are taking, that xerostomia or dry mouth Mm -hmm. is a huge problem. All kinds of medications mm -hmm. can result in xerostomia. And so anyone who's feeling symptoms of having difficulty swallowing, having difficulty masticating or chewing their food, that feels like their mouth is dry, that wakes up at night with its tongue sort of 
attached to the roof of their mouth and needs to constantly take sips of water in order to digest their food. That's a huge, huge tip off that something is going on. Bleeding gums. Bleeding gums are not normal. When you ask patients, <laughs> do you floss? They say, no, I don't because it makes my gums bleed. Well, it's sort of the reverse of that. If you continue to floss, eventually the bleeding in most cases would go away unless there's some underlying systemic problem. Um, I think when you think of autoimmune diseases, one of the first things our minds go to are Sjogren's as healthcare professionals. And that, that's an easy link. You know, we know that uh, the, auto, the body is destroying any mucus forming or saliva forming cells and results in dry eyes, dry mouth, and, mm -hmm. and other, other organ problems. But that is probably less prevalent than in just a, an individual who is taking an antihypertensive or an antidepressant or a cardiac medication that's resulting in dry mouth. And when they feel that, they need to express that to the physician. And what I've learned over my long uh, career has been that many times the answer is no, we're not going to be able to change that medication because that's the medication that controls your hypertension, that controls some of these other issues. Mm -hmm. And we've found a good formula, we're not going to change it. So then let's look at what other localized things can we do to decrease the risk for caries, decrease the senses, the sensitization of having a dry mouth. And what we're seeing is sort of a shift in dentistry. The big kind of catch thing is now biofilm. You'll see that word in dental literature a lot about the biofilm and changing the biofilm and changing the pH. So for some people, brushing and flossing is just not enough. For the, for the average normal healthy person, that's going to be sufficient. Brushing, flossing, and routine dental checkups is going to be sufficient to maintain good oral health. Mm -hmm. In certain individuals that have a different kind of you know, pathogenic microbes in their mouth and these bacteria contributing to an acidic pH, what we're learning is if we change the biofilm, and we have some chemotherapeutics mm -hmm. actually disguised as really yummy candy. <laughs> so for other individuals who we can't change medication and may need some localized assistance in, main, in keeping their pH more basic and helping to sort of diffuse the pathogenic bacteria that may be in their mouths, there are products now that have arginine bicarbonate and calcium carbonate in them, such as, and I'm, I'm not plugging this, but there's, it's a chewable candy called a Basic Bites that people can use and it has been shown to really improve the pH of the oral cavity and to decrease the amount of caries risk that patients may experience. And the arginate bicarbonate also comes in, in lozenges and we always talk about sucking on uh, sugar-free candies for individuals who have experienced dry mouth. But if they look for ones that have arginine bicarbonate in them, that is a much better option than just a traditional. We used to recommend xylitol, and xylitol is still a good chemical to help decrease if you're going to chew gum to have, mm -hmm. have xylitol in it. So these are some of the newer ways they're looking at oral flora and its effect on the oral cavity. So we talked about the autoimmune diseases, but uh, can you please uh, elaborate on some of the you know, general oral health issues in geriatric population. One in four seniors over the age of 65 are edentulous. And 
what that does is creates, puts them at risk for soft, easy, you know, um, complex carbohydrate foods mm -hmm. that are easy for them to chew and swallow that are contributory towards diabetes, high cholesterol, cardiac disease. So when you supply them with a prosthesis, a standard traditional denture, they only gain about 30 to 40% of their biting and chewing strength. So they're still functioning at about a 50 to 60% loss of the ability to masticate their food. Now, implants have, impro have improved that, but unfortunately, implants, even though the cost has come down significantly, mm -hmm. and it's, it's supply and demand, we have more people providing implants, more dentists doing implants nowadays, so that the costs are a little more cost-effective, but it's still out of the reach of many, many Americans, particularly seniors. So they've essentially lost a significant ability to chew, to masticate, and to enjoy their food. Chewing and eating is more than just about nutrition. There's a sense of satisfaction that most seniors get from masticating, chewing. There's it's pacifying there's there's gratification in that process there's also significant challenges to relationships if i don't feel comfortable to go out to dinner with my friends because my denture doesn't fit well or i don't have a denture i'm not going to go so the socialization the effects of lack of socialization due to improper ability to eat and chew or laugh or smile can be really impactful in that population who needs to socialize, who needs to get out. They're not going to the workforce anymore. They're not seeing people every day. If they're lucky, if they're fortunate, they have family support. If they don't, they live in a very isolated environment. And so when you add layer on top of that, the dental issues, it just puts them in a really uh, poor position and it's sort of a downward spiral once you stop socializing, you stop other things. You stop personal hygiene, you stop eating properly, and it is a downward spiral. There's another question which I wanted to ask, and this goes back to the financial implications in Medicare which you spoke about. So we are in South Florida, which has a major influx of immigrant population, and many of them do not have access to insurance. Uh, even the community-based healthcare centers or FQHCs, they receive a limited amount of budget which goes towards oral health care. And when some of the older adults are screened for cavities or root canals, or, you know, it's, it's, it's not affordable. They cannot do that. They only do what they can, you know, actually, which is actually possible. So is there a place for them to go to to get some of these procedures done? Like, you know, when we have a physical ailment, we are going to Jackson, right, when you don't have a insurance but if it's an oral health issue we literally we don't we don't know what to do we are in pain we might just get an antibiotic but we don't know what else to do about it that is so so true and you basically hit the nail on the head there are some fqhc's there are some very few facilities that provide either free 
care. Lindsay Hopkins used to have a clinic. It's now Dade, Dade County Dental Research Clinic. I think they've changed the name since then yet again, but they did provide services. They were down in the Jackson area at very, very low cost. One of the things I would recommend is to call the local dental society or the Florida Dental Association and ask, because there is a list. There are dentists who will sign up to provide pro bono care. And sometimes if you call the dental society, like the, there's Atlantic Coast and there's different ones within the Broward and Dade County, you can look up the dental society's numbers and find out if there are people that will see other individuals pro bono. But it is so hard to find low cost care. It's virtually impossible. And Medicaid in, is dictated by, first of all, financial. So you have to meet the financial qualifications, but then each state can decide how they want to allocate those Medicaid dollars. So in the state of Florida, they have improved a little bit in the course of my tenure teaching here, what the provisions for adults. So fortunately for children, let's just, we get them off to the right start and teach them how to maintain their oral health and hopefully they won't find themselves in some of these situations children are taken care of for the most part but seniors and persons with disabilities get left out consistently and sometimes it gets better and then it'll just cycle back down we're currently nationwide in a place where persons with disabilities are really finding challenges to oral health care individuals who need hospitalization in order to receive treatment are not getting it and it all has to do with reimbursement the practitioners want to provide the care. They want to do it, but it's hard when, you, it's, it takes a village, so you need the hospital on board, you need their, their PCP on board, you need everybody on board to make one case in the OR for, it could be a senior, it could be a person with disability, happen. It's so multifaceted, and it's, it's such a challenge, and, and what we're seeing, we're seeing it everywhere across the country where people are having challenges getting that kind of care. So that's always been the question. Um, where can I go? What can I do? And unfortunately, the simplest, easiest, and cost-efficient way is to do an extraction instead of try to yes. preserve the tooth. Yes. And we know that there are links with <laughs> rheumatoid arthritis and number of missing teeth. The greater missing teeth, the greater increased risk you are for rheumatoid arthritis. And it's all related to the inflammatory pathways. So it's kind of sad. It is, and I have realized that extracting a tooth is probably much cheaper than doing a root canal to fix the tooth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And implants have helped a little bit with that in terms of to do a root canal, it's multi-steps. It's not just simply cleaning out the nerve and putting in a, a material to substitute for the nerve. But once you've done that phase, you then need oftentimes post and core, mm -hmm. and then full coverage to support the tooth because the tooth will become brittle over time and is at risk for fracture. So we want to protect the tooth with a crown or some kind of uh, uh, restoration, but more typically a crown. So 
that becomes expensive. If, so many people will say, if you compare the cost of those three procedures, essentially, to a single tooth implant, it's, there's not a huge significant difference. And we know that in the lower jaw, there's a pretty good chance of success of implants. It's improved. Branamark started implants in the 1960s in doing research. He is, I think, an orthopedic surgeon in dogs. And since then, we've learned a lot over the last 40 and 20, 60 years. Plus, <laughs> I can't do math, 60 years. So we know we have a pretty good success rate in the mandible, a little bit less in the maxilla, depending on where, what area of the maxilla the implant's being placed. So sometimes that's an alternative. But again, the cost is, can still be prohibitive for many, many people. Education and income are proxies, sort of, in a way, for dental mm -hmm. health. The higher they are, the better dental health you have. The lower they are, the less better dental health you have. So we talked about some of the oral health issues uh, in geriatric population. Can you also uh, tell us about one of the most significant cancer in this population? So we talked about some of the issues, one being edentialism for the senior population, but another condition that is almost exclusively found in seniors is oral pharyngeal cancer. More than 8,000 people die each year from oral and pharyngeal cancer, and they are over 65. But even the survivors who have undergone surgical treatment are at risk for severe dental disease, secondary to radiation therapy, or even just the surgical procedures, the deformities that result from the surgery itself. Most oral pharyngeal cancers are asymptomatic, and so that sort of reinforces the need for a soft tissue head and neck exam on a yearly basis on persons over the age of 65, because you have no good de detection modalities until the disease has progressed to the point where it's either going to cause severe deformation from a surgical procedure or death, or both. And what's interesting to me is that it's no longer associated with the smoker-drinker. We used to think that the alcoholic or the person that smoked, they're at risk. Yes, they are, but 60 to 70% of oral pharyngeal cancers that we see today are from human papillomavirus, and in particular in males. So cervical cancer, is the cancer associated in most females with HPV, but in males, it's oral pharyngeal cancer. So I think that the importance of a yearly soft tissue exam, head and neck exam, cannot be stressed enough. In addition to brushing and flossing, that piece is so critical because it's really hard to see. There are no markers, there are no blood tests until it's too late. And the other thing I would advocate for is vaccination in adolescents, both boys and girls, mm -hmm. to reduce their risk in the future. Thank you so much. I think all this is so helpful. In fact, when I was listening to you, I was also thinking like, you know, how many times do I floss my teeth? You know, and it's like, you know, when you're talking to a dentist or you're going to a dental office, you always try to remember because these questions are going to be asked and you better be honest about it. Uh, so, yes, brushing and flossing, even those two preventative techniques, if we can educate people about it, like on and on, then maybe some of, you know, the, the other issues can be uh, subsided. But, but all the other stuff, I think that, that's so great, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's really wonderful that, you know, our listeners will uh, 
kind of you know take the advantage of it. Uh, since we talked about the financial implications before, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Medicare and dental coverage? So very recently, as of 2021, um, the House of Representatives put forth a bill to include dental in within Medicare coverage because we know that the financial implications are one of the mm -hmm. biggest barriers to oral health care for not only seniors but everybody, but particularly seniors. If you're somebody who's worked all your life, you had dental insurance, you retire, and you now shift to Medicare, mm -hmm. you lose your dental benefit. So there was a, an effort by a group of legislators in 2021 to pass a bill that included routine dental care, exams, treatment as needed, and basically had some quite good provisions for maintaining the oral health of our seniors. It was, unfortunately, was defeated. Mm -hmm. It did not come to pass. Now, it, it may be brought up again, and it could be attached to another bill, but right now it's not looking like that. So Medicare has no provisions for dental. However, under some Medicare Advantage plans, you can purchase an additional dental coverage or dental benefit. The problem is they vary greatly, and it's hard to find practitioners that will actually accept or be participants in the Medicare Advantage plan. The good news is, yet when we poll dentists across the country, older practitioners are probably less likely, but what we see is younger practitioners, new graduates who are building their practices are more than happy to say they want to participate. If Medicare had a plan for dental, that they would be happily participating in those plans. So I think for the future, if we keep pushing that, getting some kind of dental coverage under Medicare, that we would have enough uh, providers or clinicians that would be willing to participate. Yes, I think that's important. I mean, given the uh, magnitude of impact that, you know, uh, oral health can have on our uh, physical well-being, it, it's important to know that oral health is actually covered under any of the insurance plans. And if Medicare can do it, then that's wonderful. I would like to add one thing, and that's that in 2022, they added Medicare Part A and B, made provisions for someone who is in the hospital or is undergoing a valve uh, replacement mm -hmm. or head and neck cancer or some kind of cardiomyopathy or cardiac surgery that they would then cover the dental. It's sort of a modified under, in severe medical cases that they would cover the dental. And Part A will cover the hospital costs of something associated if you say you had a car accident and you had maxillofacial trauma and you needed to be admitted to the hospital for that, they would cover the hospitalization even though they would not cover the dental procedures. That's helpful to know so too. So kind of moving <laughs> very slowly in the direction, but hopefully, I mean, it just doesn't make sense that we don't have provisions for our seniors once they sort of age out of routine dental care and their income decreases, their discretionary dollars, it's almost as if you turn 65 and dentistry becomes discretionary and that's, that's I guess we have to continue to be advocates of, you know, these, these policies and, you know, continue to provide education and push to kind of move towards better Absol care. Absolutely. Yeah. If you had one magic wish 
uh, for oral health in terms of research, clinical care, or education, what would that be? So I think I would be in education, and it would be <laughs> educating my colleagues, because I would really love to see our other clinicians, no matter what their specialty area is, include one or two questions about oral health. And not only would it benefit the individual from the perspective of oral health, but it would also benefit the, the clinician who is trying to diagnose other problems. So somebody who isn't chewing properly is going to have additional problems such as GI distress, and they're going to move towards easily fermentable complex carbohydrate diets, which we know is contributory to diabetes and some of the chronic diseases of aging. So, and I know everybody's, it, 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 it takes time, it takes a few minutes out of your time, but I would love to see my fellow colleagues just say, and have you seen your dentist? And the one example I give is, if somebody goes to a physician and says, you know, or they diagnose them with diabetes, they will ask them, have you seen your optometrist or ophthalmologist? Even though the effects of diabetes on the retina, is, it takes much longer. Mm -hmm. The relationship between periodontal disease and diabetes is immediate. In fact, in juvenile diabetics, it's one of the first signs that tip people off that there's some pro other underlying systemic problem. So it's a really much shorter term, closer link and I'm not certain if my colleagues are asking that question. If you're going to see a physician, a dentist, if you, have you seen your healthcare professional? I mean, the, the research is pretty solid with diabetes and periodontal disease. There's no question there, but what's recently come out around 2018, there's a body of growing evidence to show a link between Alzheimer's disease and periodontal disease. And that study that was, um, was done by Dr. Watanabe in 2018, showed that when they expose mice to periodontal pathogens, they see neurodegeneration and amyloid plaque formation. And so there's clearly a link. We don't, it's, it's not causative, but mm -hmm. there's some relationship there, probably through the inflammatory inflammation pathway, mm -hmm. um, most likely. But you know, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And so just asking those simple questions about, have you seen your dentist? You don't even have to go into more detail than that. I would love to see, do you have difficulty chewing your food? Is your mouth dry, et cetera. But I would be happy with just, <laughs> have you gone to the dentist? When was the last time? And, and if not, you know, why not? And you, unfortunately, most of the time, the response is going to be, I believe, financial. I know. That's, that's the hard part. Right. So there's a lot of lack of finances, but also access and Just yeah, for seniors and lack of mobility and, and, and things like that that make it even more difficult for the senior individual to seek out oral health care. Right. And I do hear you that, about that. Now, the last question, I do want to uh, leave our listeners with some um, resources. So th there's so much information, like if you Google, like, you know, it's, it's like everywhere. But is there, is, is there any one place where uh, you would suggest where, you know, we can just go and read about things and kind of know what resources are there and be navigated in the right direction, actually? My first 
recommendation would be the American Dental Association website. They provide a lot of information for patients, for practitioners, and education as well. So the ADA has some really useful information there. And it's fairly easily understood, it's fairly digestible, and I think that would be a good source. My first thought is Google. But but you have to know how to kind of work your way through the list that comes up. So anything that's from the National Institute of Dental, Cranial, and Facial Research, or NIDCR, the uh, National Institutes of Health, if you look into the URL and you see any of that, that's probably a good source. And the other recommendation would be look for the date, mm-hmm. because sometimes it will be older information. Try to find something that's more current and... Um, can be applied more easily to today. Okay, so on that note, I would like to end the podcast. Thank you for joining us today and sharing such a wealth of information. And I'm taking so much home today, and I'm sure my audience is taking the information also, you know, with with a lot of energy. It's a pleasure having you, Dr. Diane Eden Nichols, and we wish to have more podcasts with you in future. So please stay tuned for the upcoming topics from our subject matter experts, and thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. 